Have you been out birding? Out birding with field guides is the new birding video series you've been hearing about. The latest episodes from Lima, Peru, Arizona, Brazil, Cape May, and the prairie potholes include adventure, conversations with fascinating bird people, and field pointers. Remember, even when you're at home, you can always go out birding with field guides. Join the fun at outbirding.com ABA. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm your host, Nate Swick. I'm back. I'm back in my trusty home studio slash office slash guest room with my real recording tools and whatnot. Quasi-rested, quasi-refreshed from my quasi-vacation. Do you want updates? I'll give you some updates. I dipped on the rough-legged hawk at Alligator River National Wildlife Refuge twice, which is par for the course for that species at that place. It is not the first time I have missed rough-legged hawk there, and if I'm being honest, probably not the last time either. But I did have some luck. I spotted North Carolina's fourth record of McGillivray's warbler near the house where my family was staying. You might note that I thought I might have jinxed myself last week by predicting something like this. I did not, thankfully. The whole thing is sort of a cool story that I will tell next week because this week's episode is already longer than it usually is. So so stay tuned for that. Bear with me. I hope you can hold out for one more week. But I will make a note that y'all know that I'm a bird names for birds guy, not a fan of the eponymic names, especially not a fan of McGillivray. Not necessarily for anything he did, but because it is a name that is unbelievably obnoxious to have to text to friends, to the rare bird group me chat, to the listserv once the word got out. I'm already a terrible typist. I'm even worse on my phone, and Siri is no help because it hears McGillivray's warbler as make delivery warbler or find a barber, neither of which are helpful, Siri. Not helpful at all. On the show this week, it is the episode you've been waiting for for an entire year. I'm going to invite the American Birding Podcast Birding Book Club back to talk about our favorite bird books of the year. Make those holiday lists. We've got some options for the bird book lover in your life, by which I mean you, obviously. Donna Shulman, Frank Izagiri, and I talk best bird books of 2020 after this week and last week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the end of November, 1st of December, 2020. All right, folks, let's catch up. No blockbuster ABA area vagrants in the last couple weeks, though there were a couple pretty good ones, including Lasagra's Flycatcher in South Florida, and two blue buntings, including a really nice male in South Texas. South Texas is already showing some signs of having a really great December. Uh, as an addition to the buntings, a couple different crimson-colored grosbeaks have been around, two different ruddy ground doves, notably from two different populations, one from West Mexico, one from East Mexico. This time of year is a very good in South Texas as altitudinal migrants start coming out of northern Mexico mountains and spreading out into the lowlands as it starts getting colder. We don't usually think of Mexico as cold, but as you get high up there, the winters can can really start to bite. That phenomenon has, in the past, driven some really fun birds into the ABA area, and what we're already seeing suggests that there could be something really exciting on the horizon. 
But there are some good first records to note, including a Cassin's Finch in Kenawa, Michigan. I hope I got that right. I know I butchered it not all that long ago. Uh, John Cassin strikes again as Tennessee's first Cassin's Kingbird was just reported near Nashville. And it was a good period for eponymic kingbirds as Virginia's first record of Couch's Kingbird was photographed and audio recorded, notably, at Chincoteague National Wildlife Refuge in Accomack County on the Virginia coast. And for a tyrant flycatcher trifecta, an Illinois first record, Great Kiskity, was seen in Will County, Illinois. It is truly an exceptional year for vagrant flycatchers. That is a relatively short accounting of the many highlights for the week. As always, for a more complete look at all the rare birds seen around the U.S. and Canada, check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert every Friday morning. That is at aba.org RBA, or you can go to our Rare Bird Facebook page. I would definitely encourage you to do so. It's a fun group at facebook.com groups slash ABA Rare. You can also follow us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. It's finally December of 2020, the month of annual superlatives. And while 2020 has been more or less of a dud in terms of, well, everything, it was a pretty interesting year for bird books. And I'm excited to talk about that with my birding book club crew. Welcome once again, 10,000 birds book review columnist, Donna Shulman, my regular partner for this episode. Hello, Donna. Hello. And new to this episode, but certainly not to our book club, Birding Magazine Media Review Editor Frank Izagiri. Welcome back, Frank. Thanks, Nate. I have a lead-off question for each of you, and I'll start with you, Frank. Um, actually, this is kind of more of an observation that sort of becomes a question, so bear with me here. When I started thinking about books in 2020, it sort of felt like a little bit of a, a I don't know, a humdrum year. But as I went on and remembered some of the authors I spoke with and the titles I saw reviewed in Birding, it actually wasn't so bad. You know, it was a very broad year for bird books, not just field guides, though there were some good and important ones, but or even the bigger category of identification books. But there were a lot of narratives, a lot of memoirs that I really enjoyed. And it felt to me like a much broader year than we've had in the past. Am I just speaking out of turn here? Did, what, did, what did you think? I think that um, it's generally a truism that once you start thinking about how many bird books were published in a year, and especially once you start to go back earlier in the year, um, when you're thinking about at the end of the year, it's overwhelming how many great bird books come out every year. I think um, this year there are two uh, general categories or genres that were very strong. One is sort of like the bird behavior reference guide type book, Mm. and also a lot of great narrative nonfiction Mm -hmm. type books, some really strong entries there. So I think those were the standouts this year, even though there were really, really great field guides too, really good... We'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk. Yeah, we don't. I don't want to you know, spill the beans a little bit, but yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, you know, looking looking kind of generally, I I, I sort of agree with you. Um, and and Donna, you know, taking into consideration this this huge variety, you know, what criteria was most important to you when you were trying to decide what books you really liked in 2020? That's I had to really think about that because I was looking at all these books on bird behavior. And mm-hmm. they were all good, um, how to select. So I started to think what contributes to the field of knowledge, uh, what educates 
not only birders, but the public, because it's been an, an unusual year. We have so many people with a new interest in birding, of course, mm-hmm. they're home. <laughs> what would be helpful to them? What would educate yeah. them not only about identification, but how to bird um, and conservation? So it's sort of like a librarian viewpoint, I think, you know, which books are useful. So we each made a list of our top five, and I know that all of us had sort of trouble even keeping it to that number. Frank, you made a comment on Twitter that you were just going to talk about 20. (laughs) I I think it's 25 now. No, just kidding. 25 now. (laughs) Well, I have the final edit, so I'm going to cut it down to five apiece. But there were were a lot of them, and I think this is the first year. I mean, Donna and I have done it the last couple years, and usually Donna and my list are more or less similar. But this year, when the three of us shared our top five, there was a lot of variety there. I mean, I think there were two books that kind of, broadly speaking, were on all of our lists. And then after that, it was, boy, it was, it was, there were a lot of good books. And, and so we have a lot to talk about. So maybe we will get to 20 before it's all said and done. I will say that we're going to kind of talk about these a little bit out of order, uh, because that's just kind of the nature of that. Uh, but we're going to put all of our lists on the show notes for this episode. And you can have a look at how we rank them and, and argue about that if you like. Um, it's it's hard to choose just five. I don't know if you guys had that trouble as well. Oh, I I set my list in late because it was I kept changing it. Um, yeah. But also, I want to say Frank's such a great addition because one of the reasons, Nate, you and I always have similar lists is we love field guides. <laughs> So yes. Frank yeah, brings <laughs> right. Frank brings like this whole more literary perspective to things. Yeah. Thank goodness. Thank goodness, Frank. <laughs> Honor to be here, guys. Glad to be part of the team. Let's talk about the biggest book, the one that we have on all of our lists. Um, even though I have not actually seen this one yet, I don't have a copy of it in front of me. I wish I did. I probably will by the end of the month because it's on my holiday list that I'm sending out to family. This was one that was on all of our lists. It's the biggest in terms of scope. It's the biggest in terms of maybe size as well. Um, it is the new Lynx edition of All the Birds of the World. It is literally, it, it's what it says on the tin. It is All the Birds of the World in one <laughs> book, which is an enormous undertaking. Um, I I have not seen this book. As I said, I put it on my list um, as my number five because just I love the I love the ambition. I love the scope. But you guys have both seen it. So what did you think about this book? What did you like about it that caused you to include it on your top five list of the books of the year? It's just all the birds of the world. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I actually ordered it as a gift, holiday gift for myself, but I took a peek. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that as well. (laughs) (laughs) For this podcast. And I'm like, oh, look at all the birds. They're so beautiful. And and because it's laid out taxonomically, it's like, they look the same, but they're all different. They're all individuals. It's, It's just presenting the beauty of our world. Yeah. It's the sort of book that me, when I started birding and I was just like interested in all that stuff, I I mean, I still am, but like young Nate would have just eaten this book up totally. I think, I think 40 year old Nate probably will as well when I get get (laughs) it in my hands. (laughs) Well, I agree with Donna. It's all the birds of the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the, yes, the most immediately noteworthy thing about the book is that it has illustrations of all the birds of the world collected into a single book. I think 
that's the first time that's been done. And, you know, I, yeah. I tentatively say that as, as it's, I believe it's the first time that that has been done. I can't recall it ever being done before. I mean, the Handbook of the Birds of the World did it, but that's like, you know, 20, 20 books. Having it all in one book is amazing. Right. Well, Lynx has the, um, the illustrated checklist. It's two mm-hmm. volumes. This is somewhat similar to that. Mm-hmm. Th- this one, every page is an illustration. Mm-hmm. Um, is filled with illustrations. Instead of like in the illustrated checklist, the left page is like, you know, it's the follows more or less the same layout uh, right. as field right. guides and that has text. Info on the left, um, pictures on the right, right. Right, so this one has, has QR codes so you can still access. I haven't played around with the QR codes yet myself because it doesn't work on my phone because I have a really old phone. But, um, the, the, you know, I have every expectation that the QR codes lead to that sort of um, textual information. And they also somewhat in- innovatively got some of that information into the little, like alongside the illustrations without really cluttering up the page. It has, it will say like the yeah. conservation status, like least concern or whatever. Uh-huh. It also has like a little quadrant system, which is really cool. And the, this quadrant system tells you what... Uh, whether a, a bird is considered a species according to the different major mm-hmm. taxonomies. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's really interesting to look through and you can you know, learn a lot that way about the differences between eBird and Clements and um, Handbook of the Birds of the World and IOC and all that. So that's really cool. It's just very, it's very pleasant to just flip through yeah. a book and passively learn things to get a sense of the relative diversity of different families on a global scale. Like for instance, like it can just hit you like, wow, there are actually a lot of kingfishers because (laughs) we might not realize that as ABA area birders, but like on a global scale, there's a ton of different kingfishers and they're just overwhelmingly beautiful and interesting. And they -hmm. look really different. Some are very small, some are very big. Um, so it's just a, it's just a really pleasant experience. It's also notably, it's an expensive book, but relative to other kinds of book like this, it's very affordable, I think. Um, so, so that in and of itself is, is a, is an achievement. It's got like, it comes with like this cool, like laminated key, which sort of like doubles as a bookmark that helps you like understand Mm -hmm. how to read the information. I don't ever recall, um, seeing that in in a book although the, maybe there are some similar books like this that, that that use that it feels like a very 21st century way to use a book like this and that and that in and of itself is is extremely innovative and ambitious yes there are significant innovations in this book and with what links is doing in general with a lot of their books so Mm-hmm. You know, enjoy this book at your own peril because it will make you want to travel. Uh, yes. <laughs> what, what, once we can do that again. Yeah. Yep. Yes. I think this might be the first Lynx book we've had on this list. Um, I think so, too. Yeah, it's, it's primarily a European book company. And so we don't see a ton of Lynx titles over here, uh, which is a shame because they're doing amazing work. Mm-hmm. Right. But also, uh, they, they've been doing field guides to countries that don't have a lot of field yeah. guides, but these big books, you know, like the checklist in this book and mm-hmm. the handbook of the birds of the world. Um, I think some birders might be put off not only cause they're expensive, but they're big. Where are you going to put them? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think 
Gonna have I to think build if, some built-ins in my <laughs> office for all the bird books. But I think if you're going to get one of their books, this is one to consider. If you don't have space for the book, you can just like put it under your pillow and maybe you'll just like <laughs> learn the birds Osmosis. that way. Yeah. <laughs> I could put it under my back. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the other book that we have sort of sort of in a way on all of our lists, um, and we'll talk about what I'm what I mean by that, is the new is a new field guide to birds of North America that came out this year. Well, new old. It's the oldest yeah. in a new version. It's the new uh, edition, new second edition of the Peterson Field Guide to Birds of North America. And I put it on my list because you know, while I am not a huge fan of the Peterson Field Guide series on the whole, um, that's not to say that it's not an important and influential and great field guide to people who enjoy it. It's just not my cup of tea. I love the fact that this is the first field guide to birds of North America, meaning the ABA area, really. Uh, that includes Hawaii. They put the Hawaiian birds in this uh, in this book, which is what we always hoped would happen when the ABA included Hawaii in the ABA area. And that, to me, is reason enough to include it on on a list like this. I I should add that after I did my review, uh, Ian Paulson, who's a bird bibliophile, pointed mm-hmm. out to me that the Peterson Field Guide to Birds of Western North America in 1961 did include Hawaii. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I do. I do remember that. Yeah. So this is actually a, a throwback. Yes. To <laughs> older guides uh, in in the best way. Normally we don't, you know, encourage that sort of thing. But this is a really good, really good thing. Yeah, and they just kind of like they really went for it because they've got the Kalij pheasant, or I don't know if I'm saying that right. That's right on the cover. So mm-hmm. they they got this strong statement. I think it's true that, you know, a lot of times when people think about the the top field guides for um, North American birds or birds of the United States and Canada, they, you know, they talk about Sibley, they talk about Nat Geo, maybe some of the other top ones, but Peterson's still in the game. I mean, this is a really Mm -hmm. good field guide. And this is, this is a reissue of a classic from which the vast majority of modern field guides, including all the, the top guides they ultimately trace their lineage to to this book. So it's really exciting mm-hmm. to have to have this updated version that also has Hawaiian birds. I, I think that's that's that in and of itself like I think Nate you said this, but that is in and of itself noteworthy and exciting yeah. and interesting. And you know, you've got the native Hawaiian species alongside the established introduced species. I did not put down the North American guide. I put down on my list right. the regional guides, Birds of Eastern and Central North America, 7th edition, and Western North America, 5th edition, because I feel this is what birders will be buying. And I really appreciate the publisher, HMH, that put in the resources to update these books every 10 years, because uh, a lot has changed. Um, I'm also uh, sentimental, and Peterson was my first field guide. And as a beginner, I just found it so helpful using that classic and criticized, but still really good identification system with the arrows Mm -hmm. and the diagnostic field marks. Yeah, so this is the point where our lists differ. And so perhaps we can talk a little bit about some of the books that we put on separately. Uh, Donna. If you want to choose one of the books that you have on your list that none of us 
had. And it's funny because like we have completely divergent lists from this point on, but not that I disagree with anything that you've chosen. Please feel free to to grab one and, and let's talk about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I put down Birds of Paradise and Bower Birds and Identification Guide by Philip Gregory and Richard Allen. Mm-hmm. I had actually forgotten that this one came out in 2020 because <laughs> it was very early in the year. Yes, you know? yes, I know. And, you know, all our dreams of traveling to New Guinea and all these places to see <laughs> these like, birds. I don't even want to see it. I don't want to put it on the shelf. But it's it's a, just a, a terrific achievement in a, it says an identification guide, but it's, it's beyond that. It's really uh, approaching what's called a monograph, you know, a mm-hmm compilation, and also some new information that they have gotten from their own experience about these two really uh, amazing families of birds. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a beautiful book. The mix of illustrations and photographs. And also, I learned, I learned a lot about uh, you know, changing bird of paradise taxonomy. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. has changed since the, I became first aware of birds of paradise mm-hmm. and kind of, kind of you know, sorted them in the back of my mind and didn't think a lot about them because I don't encounter them very often. But yeah, a lot has changed. Name changes, a lot of splits. There's a lot of new stuff that's known about Birds of Paradise and Bowerbirds. It's, as you say, it's a beautiful book. And uh, we talked a little bit about it when we did the last Birding Book Club about, um, you know, single single family field guides. Yes. And right yeah. 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 Yes. And uh, just the variety of adaptations of uh, behavior uh, for these, these, which, which is what they're known for. Absolutely. That's a Princeton, right? It uh-huh. is a Princeton. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's they, Princeton university press. They had a lot of great books this year. They always do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I always feel like we need to, uh, thank <laughs> <laughs> publishers who pay attention to our field. That's right. Yeah. Especially these sort of monographs, as you say, that are sort of, uh, labors of love to a great extent by the people that put them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, you know, you never know how many people are going to have a book of birds of paradise and bowerbirds on their shelves, but uh, boy, it's a, they, they don't skimp. Like it's a beautiful book yes. uh, for those mm-hmm. people that do want it. <laughs> how about you, Frank? Do you want to grab one of your, uh, one of your books that you enjoyed this year that we didn't have on our list? As I mentioned before, I thought this was a really strong year for narrative nonfiction writing, sort of like all encompassing term for, um, collections of essays and travelogues and memoirs uh, about birds. So the first one I'm going to mention is uh, Julia Zarankin's mm-hmm. Field Notes from an Unintentional Birder memoir. Julia, of course, has been a contributor to birding in the reviews column for many years. A lot of great reviews from her. The, this, her book is really through and through more than other great nonfiction bird books this year. It's a birder's memoir. Birders will really see themselves in this book with the spark bird experience and the nemesis bird experience and the collection of inordinate amounts of bird books and other tchotchkes, the well-meaning <laughs> and possibly also valid concerns of relatives, the, pro- the process of learning birding slang and terminology first. And then having those concepts become ingrained in your yeah. life and have it second. It, I personally unexpectedly connected to the book when she writes about um, keeping in touch with relatives in Russia and the Soviet Union and how hard it is to maintain connection with relatives in a country that you can't really travel to because you know, my family's from Cuba. But uh, even though that's like a fairly idiosyncratic connection that I made with the book, 
there are many potential points of connection for birders and other readers to connect with this this really wonderful memoir. It also it's an entry to the Canadian birding literature, which mm-hmm. is exciting. There are there are probably more great Canadian bird books, including narrative nonfiction, than American birders might realize. But it's still it's still great to add one and to to, to, to see a new one. So this is a really great inductee to that canon, and I think it's an instant classic. Um, plus, one of the one of the coolest things about this book is that Julia actually got a shout out from Margaret Atwood on Twitter, yeah. which was oh, like, totally. yeah, that was when cool. I saw that, my <laughs> eyes popped out of my head. Yeah. It's like, okay, Julia has arrived. <laughs> yeah, Canadian writers keeping it together. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Solidarity. I enjoyed it for a lot of the re- same reasons that you did, Frank. I thought it was very funny, um, very endearing. And it, 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 I, I love the fact that she was so truly and honestly a birder in a book that wasn't necessarily aimed at birders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought she was such a great advocate for the birding community and such a great envoy for birding to to the general public in a, in a way that was, you know, just, just all the best things about the birding community that I love that don't necessarily translate to to the general public. If you want to go back and listen to the conversation I had with Julia at an earlier episode of this podcast, please do. Um, she's a delight. Yeah. One of the things I liked about this book, and I'm always like saying, where did this book come from? So I realized mm-hmm. that some of it came from blogs she had written and previous articles, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of craftsmanship here. She took what she mm-hmm. had written previously and reworked it to make it into mm-hmm. this collection of essays, uh, it's sort of like a memoir essay book. Yeah, similar to Neil Hayward's book, actually. Yes. Sort of way. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and also... Um, Which I also enjoyed. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the essays in a uh, collection I also have on my list um, from Cornell University Press, When mm-hmm. Birds Are Near, Dispatches from Contemporary Writers. I love I loved seeing that process because I don't think we always realize how much work goes into writing these articles and stories. Yes. It's true. Yeah. And, and Julia really, really, you could tell she really perfected the, not perfected maybe, but she... She worked on her craft as yep. well as her birding. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So I'll, I'll uh, add another one from my list that's, uh, you know, not narrative. It's uh, it's the new ABA field guide to Birds of Hawaii. These Scott and Nick's mm-hmm. guides keep pumping out. I think there's a brand new one to Washington that just came out. Uh, but the, I think mm. the most, perhaps the most notable one in the entire series thus far, and I include my own in, in that, is this new one by the uh, Andre and Helen Rain, uh, the ABA Field Guide to Birds of Hawaii, just because it's so nice to have this really great photo field guide to all the birds of Hawaii, native, non-native, all of them. It's it's really small. It's really useful. It's, uh, it's fantastic. It has a lot of the native names, the indigenous Hawaiian names for a lot of these birds in there as well, which is fascinating. It's just a great book to finally have on your on your shelf. And while I wouldn't necessarily say that any of these uh, ABA field guides are books that people from outside the state that it is about might necessarily want or need, um, I definitely think this one is a book that everyone in North America who is interested in birds of Hawaii will want just to be able to, you know, connect with the birds uh, mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah, there's so many endemics and introduced birds there mm-hmm. that we don't have here. And it's just yeah. sort of fascinating. I should get that one. I don't have that one yet. So when you're looking at that book, Nate, because you wrote mm-hmm. an entry in that series, mm-hmm. do you note like 
authorial choices that are different than what you made or is it like um hmm, that's a good question yeah um not really i mean to a certain extent they are there is a cookie cutter aspect to these books and i think that's to their credit i mean you know exactly where you're gonna get when you have a book like this and they're all you know really well done with beautiful glossy photos and strong binding and all the things that you want in a book that you're going to take in the field so i don't really think about that too much i mean perhaps you know when you're making the decision about what birds to include and which birds to exclude uh is kind of an interesting choice um mm -hmm. but i don't know enough about hawaii to really know you know where they drew that line like i might in a field guide to anywhere else in the eastern part of the eastern part of the continent which is the best one in the series no, i'm just kidding <laughs> Mine, obviously <laughs> mine's the only one that includes two states so take that, take that everyone. Oh, okay <laughs> 100% more birds. <laughs> Go ahead, Donna. Grab another book from your list. Well, we should start talking about some of these bird behavior books, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I put down The Bird Way, A New Look at How Birds Talk, Work, Play, Parent, and Think by Jennifer Ackerman, mm -hmm. um, who's written before about bird behavior. She had a really good book about crows, I think, last year or the year before. I just really enjoyed reading this. Um, yeah. Ackerman writes about researchers studying extreme bird behavior. There are ravens who actually are playing with each other as if they're people. Um, there are the bowerbirds. I'm trying to remember offhand because um, I don't have <laughs> the uh, yeah, a lot of <laughs> greater greater Ani. I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff in this. Right. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. very cool. And and it's really fascinating. So it's like mm -hmm. each chapter is is just a, like watching one of those National Geographic specials, yeah. only oh, totally. she's just a very good writer. That's also yes. what I liked about it. You, so you learn a lot without knowing that you're learning. So mm -hmm. I put that down because I just thought it was really good at introducing this concept of bird behavior and how to observe birds. And it's just got me, it just motivated me to watch my own birds more. Mm -hmm. I mean, I totally agree. Uh, I did not have uh, The Bird Way on my top five, but it's definitely one of those honorable mention kind of books along with Julia Zarankin's. Um, it, it's a really fun book. And it, it's mostly because Jennifer Ackerman is such a great communicator i mean mm -hmm. she takes these these really kind of difficult concepts that ornithologists are are dealing with and she distills them and i i just i love science writers who can do that um she is one of my favorite science writers for that reason along with a like she's on my mount rushmore of science writing uh, certainly but mm -hmm. um i ripped through it in like two days because i enjoyed it so much yeah fantastic and again another past guest of the, of the podcast <laughs> if i may throw it back to a earlier conversation i had with her in the spring definitely a worthy worthy one on this list you guys have said a lot but if i can add something i mean it's kind of like we think about what we were saying about all the birds of the world when you mm -hmm. look at all the birds of the world you're you're for the most part, getting like a superficial look at um, uh, yeah, yeah. what birds are there. This is like in in its way, the opposite in a good way. Hmm. Um, you really get a, about the species that she talks or writes about. You get really in-depth communication of knowledge. You get um, really excellent distillation of scientific research that mm -hmm. has taken many years to produce. You will learn like 
a lot about nest parasites from around the world. <laughs> so if that's your jam, like, you know, I, I know I know there's a lot of ABA era birders that are like ready to go to bat for cowbirds, like on a moment's notice. So if like <laughs> if you're like into those nest parasites, like just you should check this book out. I mean, it's 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 great. It's like Nate said, it's 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 really top shelf science writing. Yes. And there's like there's a bit of like immersion journalism, travelogue type angle in there too uh which which is kind of like a nice binding force for this kind of book so yes and an exceptional book really great book yeah so instead of all the birds of the world it is all the behavior <laughs> oh the, of the, the world. fire what was it the fire spreading kites who who was spreading the fire yeah, that's oh, right. yeah, yeah yeah um wedge-tailed yeah. eagles i think are sort of famous for that yeah that yeah. was incredible okay next up i'm gonna go with I'm going to go with Owls of the Eastern Ice. Mm. We had a few people on Twitter mention this one Yeah, as well. definitely. The full title of the book is Owls of the Eastern Ice, A Quest to Find and Save the World's Largest Owl by Jonathan Slatt. So, so probably my favorite genre of book, at least in terms of narrative nonfiction, the one that I just absolutely cannot resist is Obscure Natural History Travelogues. So like now, okay, <laughs> th- this book... It's not obscure because it's getting so much press, it is, yeah. but it's about a place that is for ABA folks obscure. This has everything you could want from a travelogue nature memoir. There's great description of the landscape, some really memorable characters and dialogue. There's introspection, but it is a very different and fascinating place. It's about the Russian Far East, which notably is not the same as Siberia and has different fauna than Siberia, which the author explains well in the book mm-hmm. um you will learn so much about the animals of this place which are really interesting animals so i think a lot of field biologists and wildlife researchers will see themselves in the book but it's in a totally different place mm-hmm. so the book does like a great job of combining the familiar in terms of natural history and wildlife experiences as well as the literary template of a travelogue memoir with the unfamiliar in terms of taking place in an area of the world that is, while it's in some ways quite recognizable uh, ecologically, it's also just like really different. And especially the cultural context is different of the people that live there. So in terms of like, okay, in terms of specific interest to birders, like birders love owls (laughs) and the owl scene in Russia and specifically in the Far East, is like really incredible. This book is principally about Blackenstein's uh, fish owl, which is his research subject. But I was just going to ask, like there's more than one owl of the Eastern Oh ice. my gosh. He, there's like a really cool part <laughs> where he gets, um, he finds a great gray owl, which is like, um, I, I don't, it's a vagrant basically there. I, I don't think, um, mm-hmm. it's again, like surprising to learn about that kind of stuff. Maybe vagrant is a little too strong a word, but there's only like a few records um, from there. And there's, um, Earl owls, and there's just a bunch of really interesting owls, uh, and you you get to learn a little bit about all, all of them. And I don't know if any reviewers of the book have said this, but so like I said, it's got all those classic ingredients of a travelogue, um, like careful attention to detail, scenes, cultural reflection, and humility. But there's also this like there's this underlying like like dude energy. It's like let's learn about and save fish owls. Like this is a very understudied species. Let's go, you know, like as the kids say. So it's like, which makes this book for me, it makes it super fun. It's like, um, 
that's like lying. That energy is lying right under the surface. Uh, at least, you know, maybe I'm like reading into that. But <laughs> I mean, the, the author, the author is just like tough. He's an action hero. I mean, these are really the study conditions that he works in are really, really difficult. He mostly studies the birds in winter and he like swims through icy water in order to survey fish species and the appropriate habitat, like where the owls are hunting. He basically like wrestles and subdues these huge birds. He lives <laughs> in really remote places, places that outsiders basically don't go to, like, like ever. <laughs> when is the movie going to be made? He mu- they must have sold the film rights. <laughs> I wonder who he would like to to play him. <laughs> oh my goodness! feels It feels like a Matt Damon role. I say that. Oh gosh! Born identity meets birding. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it's just a fantastic book. It's a great adventure. It really is like it's all that and a bag of blinchiki, which is a Russian food that I learned about from the book. So I really recommend this one. Well, it is on a lot of best lists for 2020. I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead to my number one bird book, uh, which is the the new one by John Kreischer, mm-hmm. uh, Bird Behavior from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. It's part of the Peterson Field Guide series. And, you know, I, I love this series. They have really uh, put out a lot of really fascinating books over the years, uh, books that perhaps, you know, like we said for Princeton and Lynx, like books that aren't necessarily there to be big sellers, but are there because the people who write about them have all this information that absolutely needs to get out to people. And so they put it in the book and then, you know, Howden Mifflin comes along and they'll they'll publish it. Um, but John Kreicher is a known, a known writer. Um, I'd, I'd love a neotropical companion, still one of my favorite nature nature books of all time, and um, he, you know, he puts that sort of same. And I feel like this is part of a theme with Jennifer Ackerman as well, like this this idea of the author distilling these difficult concepts and putting them into uh, a very approachable, accessible book. And, and John Kreischer does a great job with it. I mean, it's it's about all the different possible behaviors that are out there and all the you know ways birds can be birds can act uh, with a lot of really beautiful photos. And uh, as I said, approachable prose. Um, it's really great. I think I think it's my favorite mm. bird book of the year. But obviously, that's that's uh, that's arguable. There's a lot of really great choices out there. But uh, I, I really I want like to put one. this on my list too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Let's start over. Let's start over. It's authoritative, <laughs> uh, but it's totally. But it's yeah. beautiful. All all of those reference books are beautiful. Yeah, they really are. Huffton Mifflin Harcourt had a great year. They had a lot of great titles come out mm-hmm. this year. They really mm-hmm. did. They really did. But again, it's like, you know, they always do. <laughs> yeah. I think we only have one more to talk about, right? Unless you wanted to talk more about uh, when birds are near. I know you sort of. Yeah, I was going to say it, I but... sort of jumped the gun there. Do you want to talk about it now? When Birds Are Near is a collection of um, essays. It's about. They're, they're essays sort of similar to what Julia does in her book. It's about birds, but also about the author's reactions to the birds. Um, I I just published my review today, and I, I talk about how it's about the intersection between people and birds. And I liked it because there's a lot of different voices there. There are experienced writers, new writers, some writers who bird, birders who write. Uh, but the quality of the writing is all really good to excellent. Um, they don't only ruminate or see birds in terms of relationships. There's some interesting uh, viewpoints about what it's like to be a black birder from J. Drew. I'm going to mangle his name. Lanham. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
one author writes about seabirds and she it's a very interesting uh technique she uses a japanese form of writing where it's sort of poetry um interspersed with narrative it it's actually more beautiful than it sounds but at the end she touches on how seabirds who are alone at the sea but come back to land to nest in their communities relate she relates to them and they make her think about her what she calls her queerness which was just Hmm. sort of came out of the blue, but sort of made you stop and sort of think back about what you had already read. So they're not all the, your traditional narratives, although most of them are. Mm-hmm. I re- I put it on the top five because I like that it ga- gives exposure to all these different voices and it makes us conscious of how much talent we have in our community. And um, mm-hmm. you can, you know, read some of these names and go on to read other things that they've written in some cases, in some cases to look forward to things they've written. Okay, my number one bird book of the year is <laughs> Helen McDonald's Vesper Flights. So this is a this is a collection of essays. What McDonald tries to do in this book, in her own words, is build a cabinet of wonders. And she succeeds in doing what a classic collection of essays is supposed to do, which is run through a gamut of topics that are somehow mostly linked together, but not necessarily in any obviously overt way, but through the binding agent of the author's outlook and insights on the world. She writes about a lot of topics that are of interest to birders like migration, but also field guides and a little more obscurely, at least to ABA area birders, medieval bestiaries, which I just love that part. Um, (laughs) I studied those in college. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, both of those are topics that I've researched um, and thought about a little bit in as, you know, I'm trying to write my dissertation right now. So those were those are interesting to me. She has she has the important writer's skill. And this might be the kind of skill that you can't really teach of bringing everything together to a point of resonance mm-hmm. that you feel it hits you. Mm-hmm. More, so more than mm-hmm. more than seeing or hearing her writing, you feel it, which for me is really the hallmark of writing that's like next level good. So like she's got she's got an essay about peregrines in Dublin, which is really beautiful. One essay is about climate change and the human ability to uh, inability to confront it. She's got more than one are about birds and birding and there. She has the gift for intensely scrutinizing the underlying tensions in human relationships. So um, she's, she also has some essays that are like memoir-esque about her childhood that I think many birders and naturalists will be able to relate to. There's some travel essays. Um, the essay about common swifts is unforgettable. She's also English, so you get, you get that very familiar, but in some ways fairly different lens of, of seeing the world and thinking about birding. And she's also just funny. Like she's not she's not trying to be David Sedaris or something, but there are like moments <laughs> in the book that are legit laugh out loud funny. And that that's hard to do in the essay form. So just an all around very pleasant and memorable reading experience that, that I, I strongly recommend for anyone with even a passing interest in, in the personal essay form. That's great. You you guys make me feel a little um a little uh, anxious about the fact that my last book is a Donald Christmas bird song for the curious naturalist. I mean, it's just a nice book about 
bird song. It, it doesn't say anything about the human condition or anything, but it does say a lot about bird songs. <laughs> I need to read him more. <laughs> that's my that's my yeah. area of his challenge. books. You can learn a lot from Kruzma's books. Mm-hmm. I asked this question on Twitter before we get on and started talking, and uh, just some some books that people threw out. A lot of things that they that we said. Aiden Place said uh, the new Birds of Maine, which I have not seen uh, in my hand, but from what I've seen, pictures of the plates looks like a, another beautiful book of a you know one of those of a of a piece of this sort of localized birding mm-hmm. knowledge sort of thing that is that looks like it's just a really well done example of that genre. Yeah, yeah, I don't have that one either, but from by all accounts, really an excellent, excellent state level reference book. And I feel like we should at least give sort of passing notice to uh, David Sibley. Yeah, I agree. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the biggest, maybe the biggest <laughs> bird person in uh, in the country had a book called uh, What It's Like to Be a Bird. I talked to him earlier this year, and um, I really like this book if for no other reason, because it um, shows his sort of artistic range as mm-hmm. it were, uh, rather than sort of the field guide style of bird. He's got a lot of birds doing things, yeah, uh, which I yeah. think was probably fun for him to kind of change things up a little bit. It's a fun book. Yeah, yeah no, I totally it, agree. It, it's great. It's thing. fun. And well, it also has what Nate was saying, like you, you know, from having and using his field guides, you get used to a certain kind of art from him mostly. But mm-hmm. in this book, you get a different experience mm-hmm. of Sibley's work. The birds are um, in action, they're in you know, some mm-hmm. a lot of times in motion. There's there's drama, and and I think birders will in, enjoy that first. And also, it's like there's there's a lot of knowledge uh, in that book too, and it's presented mm-hmm. it's presented in a really, a really pleasing style. There's like um it has a mostly like a bullet point layout, and you can just like learn a lot really quickly. Um, just yeah. just skimming through the and one other one small thing I want to mention about that book that I really loved, which was I don't think it's throughout the whole book. Mostly, I think it's from the first section. The bullet points are little birds. They're like little songbirds, <laughs> which is really Actually, adorable. Nice you know, whoever designed that book. Yeah, and I, it's kind of like I was thinking about this. Like, oh, I want to say something about that. It's, it's probably like, you know, maybe if like Sibley hears this and, he, you know, someone's like, the best thing about the book is that the bullet points are birds. It'll be like, it'll be like facepalm. And then like the editor will be like facepalm and the designer will be like, I told yes. you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then the next step is to make those little bullet points available for all of us. That's right. So we can all use them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, Lance Danino, I'll say noted the, the seventh edition of Hawaii's birds by the Hawaii Audubon society. It sounds like Hawaii yeah. had a really good year yeah. uh, for birds, yeah. for books in 2020. Mm-hmm. So good. that's uh, I don't have that one either. I should get that one. No, I know. It's too many too many books as you said, uh as someone said in response, if, if your books all fit in your shelves, you don't have enough books. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. I think it's been a difficult year for publishers and and for writers who had books coming out who wanted to, you know, publicize them. And um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know um, some of the warehouses were late getting the books out because they were closed for weeks. So, I I mean, I really appreciate all the effort the writers have done to, to do things online. I know David Sibley and Julia and Jennifer have... Um, been doing Zooms and podcasts, and I, I just really appreciate all of the work that the industry has put into making this available. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They certainly could have, 
you know, they maybe justifiably have closed up for the most part. But, you know, maybe we'll see 2021 with all this time that people have at home as a, another banner year for, for narrative, <laughs> narrative, for narrative books. <laughs> right. Books and babies. That's right. Yeah. Here they come. <laughs> As usual, I will post a link uh, to our list with with links to all the titles mentioned in the in this episode in the show notes. Donna is at 10,000birds.com. Frank at aba.org slash book reviews. Thank you so much, Donna and Frank. I, I always enjoy so much talking books with you. Uh, happy holidays to you both. And, and we'll talk again in the new year. Oh, yeah. yeah happy that was great holidays. Fun. Happy holidays, guys. It's going to be a really good year. I hope so. Mm-hmm. It's got to be. <laughs> The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. We are but a small organization, and we depend on memberships and donations to keep us going, especially in a year where our travel programs are on hiatus through probably most of next year, honestly. If you enjoy this podcast or anything else that we do, there's no better time to join the ABA or give the gift of membership. You can get more information at aba.org slash join, or, or you can make a donation at aba.org slash gift. Special shout out to, and bear with me, I've got quite a few this time, Mark Kudrov of Carmel, California, Harold Ratliff of Cumming, Georgia, Melissa Hensel of Cumberland, Maryland, Laura Wolf of Ellicott City, Maryland, Stephen Price of Farmington, Missouri, Jacqueline White of Leland, North Carolina, Penelope Reed of Fletcher, North Carolina, Torin Waters and Daniel Wilson of North Liberty, New York, Jason and Laura Towell of Lakewood, Ohio, Jonathan Rind of Collegeville, Pennsylvania, Gavin Anderson of Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, John Smallwood of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Truett Ellis and the entire Ellis household of Nashville, Tennessee, Deepash Mishra and Rohini Mehta of Centerville, Virginia, Ann Cummings of Arlington, Virginia, Brandon Holland of Virginia Beach, Virginia, William Kurtz of Charlottesville, Virginia, Virginia, coming through, and Maureen Traxler of Shoreline, Washington, all of whom joined the ABA recently and noted the podcast as a reason. Thank you so much for that. Welcome or welcome back to the American Birding Association. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon, who shares my Siri woes and once experienced a very disturbing outing when he asked his phone to find a fork-tailed flycatcher and it gave him a Kid Rock rehab picture. Technical production is by John Lowry, whose attempt to use Siri to find Kitlitz's Merlet was derailed by its insistence that he hear Thin Lizzy's single. And as we know, the boys are not back in town. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who were very disappointed when Apple TV interpreted their attempt to find a phenopepla as an attempt to watch Peppa Pig and added it to their Netflix queue. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, on Instagram at American Birding Association, and on Twitter at ABA. I asked Siri to find me a Groovebuild Ani when I was in South Texas once, and it read it as I Boomerang, which is at least an appropriate description of the pointless loops it sent me on to find this bird. Questions, comments, corrections can come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swake. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. See you next week.